One, two, three, four. Too Loud Guys. Too Loud Guys. Hello and welcome to Too Loud Guys once again. Um, our sound is shitty again. Because it's, magic. it's yeah. Um, I forgot the mics at Adam's house because we were jamming there uh, last weekend. So yeah, we're stuck with the old sound. But we took shots, so we're all loosey goosey. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing like noon o'clock drinking. See, Daniel's parents are out of town. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Fucking tunes are going on. This show's uh, all about the music. <laughs> Okay, it was, it was this thing I was listening to on YouTube, and I guess when I opened up my internet, it started again from where it was automatically. I didn't know YouTube did that. It does that now. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, so my parents are gone, so we're just kind of drinking a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we're going to see if this episode can can uh, stay on a path. I think it will. Or off the rails. I got, I got some shit to talk about. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not drunk. I'm just joking yeah, around. Yeah, we're neither of us. <laughs> We just took we a will nice, be after the show. Yes, victory shot. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice morning shot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, how you doing, Corey? I'm doing all right. Here? I've just been recovering from from sweet, sweet weekends in the states, seeing jam bands. Yep. Now, all I really want to do with my life now is follow around jam bands. It oh, just there doesn't seem to be any other purpose anymore. <laughs> the more people get into jam bands, the less I like you all. <laughs> Oh, it's so good, man. You just you just gotta you just gotta surrender to the jams. I gotta do nothing. There's nothing I gotta do. <laughs> all right, you just sit there with all your commercial crap, <laughs> all your punk music. None of, none of the pure jams. You're a pure jam. Thank you. No problem. From pure pure fruit preserves. Yeah. All right. Preserve That's cool. Fruit. You, uh, you been listening to anything? Uh, well, you been doing nothing? Um, not a whole lot. I mean, I've been listening to stuff, but it's it's been this weird thing where, like, I'll keep trying to listen to things, and, you know, I'll listen to the beginnings of albums I've never listened to before and stuff, and, like, find it kind of cool, but, like, can't really get too into much of it. And I don't know if it has to do with the fact that I'm just always tempted to go back to the jams, or if it's just kind of a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Probably with jams. Yeah, I think that they're just kind of making me feel bored of a lot of commercial music that I might have otherwise found appealing. You're going to turn into one of those people who only listens to five bands. Yeah. No, that's not true, because I'll always love too much music, but it's just like, I kind of understand where those people are coming from, because it is like, you know, the more deep, I guess, you get into sort of listening to a lot of live, improvised rock music, it's kind of hard to go back to just sort of like commercial songs that have, you know, distinct structures and like distinct verses and choruses and... I wonder how much of that is... I mean, for me, that's not hard at all because those are the songs that I like. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wonder how much of, of the, the jam scene and jam music and stuff... It's like, I wonder... Is it that the the music itself fuels the recording of like the of all these live shows? Is that why like it's sorry? Let me just I, I'm gonna try to, to distill this into what I actually mean. Um, is whether like the fact that there is all of this recorded output makes people into the band, or whether the recorded output is a result of people being into the band? Like what the relationship mm -hmm. there is, like because I wonder, you know, we were listening, we were watching uh, Metal Evolution last night, and they were talking about Deep Purple and Deep Purple and how they like used to improvise a lot, right? But there isn't that wealth of Deep Purple shows available. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, like, would Deep Purple be one of those bands 
if they had released yeah. every one of their shows. Would they be like you know? the Dead and the like, Almond Brothers? Is it just the fact that all of that music is there? I think it definitely helps. There's yeah. no doubt that that the wealth of different improvised recordings you can hear by the Grateful Dead and Fish and, and all the other jam bands is definitely a part of it. Um, I think the biggest thing it ultimately seems to come down to is community. Because when you're at the shows, it's, all, it's like a big kind of party. And I kind of sometimes feel like the music in some way takes a backseat to the social aspect where they're sort of just, you know, they, it's sort of the background music for the party these people are attending. Yeah. And as a fan of the music, that kind of gets on my nerves, especially at Fish shows. It's less so at a Grateful Dead show. It's a bit more, it feels more like everyone's there to hear the music. But at Fish, it feels like everyone's there to party and everyone's just like chatting the whole time. And I'm like, man, like, this is a cool jam. Why don't you listen? Why don't you shut up and listen? But, you know, but it's kind of cool that it is built on that anyway, that, you know, people come to these shows because it is kind of this, this big party. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it helps, I guess, that there's all these... Like, I've been saying that, uh, you know, Electric Wizard, you know, uh, who are, a, I guess, a, a stoner metal, a stoner doom metal band, uh, that, like, it would be so cool if them and all the other stoner bands were jam bands. Because that's, like, the stoner metal scene is really, really close to that already, where they have these, like, really long, stretched yeah. out kind of jammy songs that, are, that just happen to be heavy uh, instead, of, instead of light. Uh, and so, like, if there were just all these live recordings of Electric Wizard jamming and stuff, I do wonder how that but would do. Kind of Electric affect. Wizard, do they jam or are there? I don't know if like, they jam, but it sounds I, like I would jamming. assume they don't. Like to me, it, I, I always, I always feel like sludge metal and that kind of stuff is like very composed. Yeah, well, it sounds. You know, it sounds like it is composed for sure, but it's still like it stretches out in such a long, kind of like mind-bending. And not really too complex either kind of things that is just like plausible that they're sort of jamming it out right. I, I figure they're probably not but it was probably you know Whatever they record in the studio was probably a result of them jamming it as most bands obviously have the process of right But yeah, I, I think it would just be really cool if there were just like all these live recordings of those bands Just jamming on their doom metal style. I'd listen to that shit all day. Yeah, fair enough <coughs> To have just drones going on all day. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, but but you have been listening to to some new stuff. I have. Nice. Yeah. I just know. Like, I I can't say much about anything because I haven't listened to any full albums. Okay. But there, you know, okay. there's some interesting stuff that's come upon my radar, such as the new Real Big Fish album. Can't oh, Coded yeah. Fury. I, I still have not listened to that. Okay. Yeah. I've only listened to the first few songs, but uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. It sounds like everything you would expect a new Real Big Fish to sound album um, sound like. They have it. They have. They have not realized that we're not in 1995 anymore, and that's all that I want from them. What's great is that they know that. Like I, you know, I like I've interviewed Aaron Barrett before, right? Yeah, and um, which is a which is a really cool thing that I can say. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and he was basically saying, like, you know, I was like, do you ever get tired of Scott? And he was like, no. Hmm. He was like, it's fun music. I never really get tired of it. It's always the same yeah we know that we're a ska band we like it yeah what do you want and like a lot of the third wave ska bands are very into that and and i guess they hand, get a lot of criticism for that yeah which is fair like on the yeah. one hand it's like okay it's cool that you just want to make this like fun music on the other hand like maybe you want to push things forward a little and maybe that's the problem with ska music mm -hmm. you know like mustard plug are like that as well where you yeah. watch that the documentary of yeah, mustard plug? yeah they're also very much about that where they're like yeah you know we're a ska band mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah i think that's cool i think it's a good attitude I, and I guess that's coming from, you know, our perspective yeah. where that's music that we enjoy, so yeah. why wouldn't we want yeah, to enjoy yeah, yeah, yeah. it? But it seems like Scott is, 
you know, being this sort of traditionalist style of music, like, it just, it makes sense that the artists who do it are like, yeah, we just want to keep playing this because it's fun. Yeah. Why should we want to do anything else? Well, I mean, that being We're said, not though, artists. Like, you know, it's it's kind of fun for all these exciting things to happen. So, you know, the stagnation is a little bit of a bummer. You're and right. That's I mean, sort of what stops, like, why, why there's no fourth wave right now. Yeah. And, or, like, why third I mean, wave got kind of I mean, Streetlight Manifesto were sort of considered, like, the fourth wave. Yeah, right? but then nothing came out of Streetlight Manifesto. I guess except so. Except for Streetlight Manifesto. Yeah. That band is, like, in a, in a, on their own level entirely. It's true. They really were, like, they're not been any kind of ska punk bands who came yeah. out who showed to pledge allegiance to what Streetlight did. And that's why it's cool. That's why Streetlight is a cool band and why, like, you know, their grasp sort of goes beyond people who like ska music. You yeah. know, like... For sure. And, and, and that's why their sound is so interesting. Like, Streetlight are kind of, are like a pretty one-of-a-kind band. Yeah, they pretty much abandoned ska after their first album That's anyway. not true. They're up super, like, they've, they're always ska, but they're just, like, much more complicated. But it's a lot yeah. more just punk with horns than it is ska. No, I would disagree with that. I there's know. a lot of, there's a lot of upstrokes. There's some, but, it, you know, when I'm thinking about, like, what's on the second album now, there's a lot of songs that don't really have it. There's a lot more of a Latin rhythm going on than Yeah, Scott. well, there's, there's, there's a world thing going yeah. on with that album, definitely. Yeah. Um, but it is still a ska album, I think. I think both of <laughs> those albums you could still call ska, but, uh, you know, they, they, they do sort of push it forward, and they do some really interesting things within that style. Yeah. And that's pretty exciting to hear, and it's a bummer that no one else does that. Like, I've always thought Big D and the Kids Tables... Um, album Fluent and Stroll was a really neat album in the way like they're not like they're not a ska band on mm -hmm. that album and I think it's kind of cool like it's, it's a really interesting it's very interesting to see where ska bands end up developing to like the ones from most of them turn into new wave bands well no, I mean that's not true like the Aquabats turn into new the Aquabats a real big fish had their moment to doing that too nah they didn't Cheer Up has a lot of like new wave doesn't it no Cheer Up is more like straight punk sort mm. of uh, I guess I haven't really listened to it since it, yeah I, I definitely would not call it a new wave album um, but yeah, you know, a lot, yeah, like, yeah, a lot of them went, just kind of went and did pop punk, like, yeah. you know, Goldfinger did that, mm -hmm. just became a pop punk band, which seems like a progression. But then you, you have some really interesting things, like what Big D did, and apparently I still haven't listened to their new album, and I don't really intend to. It's like, back to ska, and it's like, not very good, hmm. which I would believe, because that's totally disappointing, because Fluent Stroll is a really neat yeah. album. Um... Really, yeah. Chris's new album is getting pretty criticized. But, is it? But, but I'm like, by who? Right by who? I have not really looked up any the, the The Sputnik review gave it a, you know, a 2.5. Was that a staff review or? I'm not sure. Probably not. It would have been front page, I feel like, if it was. Yeah, maybe. Probably. That's true. Though, like, High Five Soup was also pretty panned. Yeah, that was a bad album. I like High Five Soup. <laughs> yeah. I, I like it. There's some good songs on that album. You, you have to like it, though. It's like me liking the new Kiss album. It's just... It's your duty to like it. No, I don't think that's true. I think I think if you read my review of that, I put forth some pretty good points about why that album is good. Maybe. I don't remember your review. I'll have to reread it. You should read it. Because yeah. I think... I don't think it's a great album. It's probably their worst album. I'm aware of that. But, like, mm -hmm. it's still okay. Yeah. There's enough weirdness on it that it's good and good songs. I really wanted to like it. I really, really wanted to like it. Yeah. <laughs> Shark Fighter is a fucking awesome song. Yeah, that was a funny song. Shark Fighter's really good. That song yeah. is awesome. I liked that song. Shark yeah, that's Fighter the thing. That good. song was like the first one released from the album, and it was so silly and fun and had that Aquabats quirkiness, and I was like, all right, this is going to be yeah. a sweet album. There's a couple really good things on that album, though. There's, there's Shark Fighter. There's um, that Dragon song. I forget uh, I forget what it's called. Dragon Fighter. <laughs> there's that Dragon song. Poppin' a Wheelie is kind of awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, you know what, maybe now like, removed is, from all the hype, I would get more into it. It is a dumb album, yeah. but it's pretty good. 
It's a bit of a shame because I've, I've always thought the Aquabats are a smarter band than most people give them credit for. Yeah. In fact, than anyone. Like, I think I'm pretty much the only person. Like, me and you and Adam are, like, the only people who can fight for the Aquabats and be like, no, 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 they're actually, like, a really smart band. Yeah. Um, whereas you can't use High Five Soup in that argument at all, because that, no. that, that album's, like, dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, that's but the I thing. Like their music's all dumb, but it's dumb in the most clever way. And High Five Soup just doesn't really have much actually has, cleverness. You know, like especially on, I feel like, on Floating Eye of Death, there's, yeah. some, like, there's some real like criticism on that album. Yeah, I, like, I've always said that album is the one that has like deep philosophy. Yeah, it does. Like, they, they do have that yeah. around there, you know? For sure. Um, just like Chemical Bomb alone is a brilliant yeah, song. Yeah, exactly. Like, Chemical Bomb is great. And, and you know, Charge does the same thing, too. Like, Charge yeah. has some really good moments yeah, of that. Fashion zombies, yeah, Fashion Zombies. Yeah, Fashion Zombies and Plastic Lips. Yeah. And a couple other tunes on there do a really good job of doing that sort of social critique. I miss the Aquabats. I want them to come back. Me too, and I don't know. Like, now that they have their show, it's it's the bad part of them having a show, I guess, which is that, like, on the one hand, it's amazing that they have a show, and it's mm -hmm. like, I hope they just keep that show going forever. I hope there are action figures that I can buy. <laughs> like, I'm so excited. The fact that the Aquabats are, like, the fact that kids are growing up with the Aquabats is something that yeah. makes me, like, so fucking happy. Yeah, it's really It's, like, so amazing that, that they've managed to finally <laughs> do that. Especially because yeah. they've been trying to do this for, like, a decade at least. Yeah, it's cool because they were always, like, you know, they're a ska punk band, but they always had their, like, superhero get-ups and stuff, and they're always about being for the kids and stuff. Yeah. just makes so much sense that that now they should belong yeah, to a generation such, of yeah, young it's, children. It's such a natural progression for them, and it's something that's so great. And, you know, they, and they're very much aware of that. You know, Christian Jacobs, <clears throat> who was MC Bat Commander, mm -hmm. um, you know, he fucking is the co-creator of Yo Gabba Gabba. Yeah. You know? Um, and, you know, on t they actually, like, if you look, if you search for it, they used to have it on their website. I don't think they do anymore, but you can actually find some clips because they have a pilot from like their from like the nineties that they tried to make around the time of Floating Eye of Death. They sort of have like have all these clips from like a pilot that they made for a show that never And it was like a cartoon show. No 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 no. That one was it was like a Power Rangers type show. <clears throat> oh. Isn't that what this current show is? Mm, sort of, yes. The other one is more overtly Power Rangers y. Oh I see. Whereas this one is sort of like a variety show. Hmm. Which I still haven't fucking watched. I need to download it and watch it. Yeah, I really want to watch the Aquabat Super Show. Yeah. And I also really want the Aquabats to go on tour with Debo. <laughs> oh that, would God, be, that would be unreal. That would be one hell of a tour. That would be the best tour ever. Yeah. That would be probably my favorite show of all time. Yeah, they can get two more fun and similar but unique acts to, yeah. to perform together. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, the Aquabats Super Show seems to be doing pretty well, and Yo Gabba Gabba is obviously doing Gangbusters still. Yeah. Um, so I really hope, like, they will use a lot of that money and be like, hey, let's go on a tour. Yeah, they'll you go know? on like the biggest tour yeah, they've ever done. Because the first like, time I saw them, setup. the first time I saw them when they were still on a record label, like they went big, you know, like oh, it yeah? was like an hour and a half long set. They played most of Charge. They had like two or three monster battles and different <laughs> costumes and they had a ton of merch. They had like, you know, they were selling the mask, which I, which I have. Mm -hmm. um, they were selling like a coloring book, <laughs> which is really like a lot of like, and they were, had like a ton of t-shirts that were all really cool. And all that stuff. And then the second time we saw them, they only played for like an hour. Um, the setlist was kind of like playing their hits, yeah, so to speak. Which um, made me happy. Yeah, like it, it was, which was fun, but you know, it was a short set. They didn't really do the monster battle stuff mm -hmm. or like the on the running plot kind of thing. Their merch was kind of disappointing. Yeah, the merch booth was tiny. Yeah. Uh, the only cool part of their merch was like the Christmas sweater. Man, I haven't bought awesome. merch since like 
my first show back in high school when we went to see Mustard Plug and I got a Mustard Plug t-shirt. That's the last time I've ever got Your anything first, from a merch first booth. First and last time. Yeah. Oh man, I love the merch booth. Yeah. I love it. It's a it's a cool thing, but I don't know. I guess it has a lot to do with the song Reinventing Rose, Axl Rose, Rose by, by uh, Against Me. Whatever. And Against Me still like, sold t-shirts when they were making Yeah, that for song. sure. And they totally sold out, but, you yeah. know. I still just, it still just, I guess, has put this idea in my head that there's sort of like something unpure about the merch. There isn't. I don't think there's anything unpure about it. Yeah. Especially when it's cheap, which it usually is for the shows that we go to. You know, like $15 shirts. Yeah. $10 CDs. And that's the other thing is that like the merch, the merch booth is a way for you to buy, usually buy a band's shit for cheaper. Yeah, true, and to support the band, which yeah. is always a positive. Yeah, like when I went to and so I watch you from afar, like I, you know, I went to go buy a shirt, and then I just like they didn't have the vinyl of Gangs, which I thought was unfortunate because that's like you can't really buy that in Canada. If you mm. do, you can get it off of Amazon, and it's like seventy five dollars or something because it's Damn. an import because they don't have any distribution here mm. for that stuff. So they didn't bring any of it over. So I was like not gonna buy a CD, and then I saw the show, and then I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just buy the CD. Mm. It's like, they are so good. I just give, here's my money. Yeah. Like, if Johnny Foreigner come, I'm going to fucking go crazy. Which, by the way, Johnny Foreigner. I know Foreigner was still touring, bro. Yeah, man. Johnny Foreigner are Maybe probably. Maybe he'll play with Journey. I believe they're <laughs> and actually. They're, they're, and REO I mean, Speedwagon. Hey, fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, weaving this into a little piece of news right now, Johnny Foreigner are trying to go on tour right now in the Canada, in Canada and the U.S., and what they're trying to do, like, you know, they're doing it in, like, a DIY way, so they just put in a message on their Tumblr or whatever, like, asking anyone who has any, you know, connections or whatever to, like, hit them up and hmm. try to work that shit out. So I really hope they come here, because I'll freak out and buy all their shit. They haven't been here before, right? Oh, they have. They have oh. been here before. And you saw them? No. I've never hmm. seen. But they have been here before, I know, for sure. <clears throat> uh, Yeah. Yeah, so Real Big Fish is new. Ska music. Should, uh... So what? It sounds like Real Big Fish? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Great. I found it really odd that, like, or I guess you weren't there, but, like, when we saw Real Big Fish, they didn't play any new stuff at all. Hmm. But I thought they'd, like, throw in a song or two and be like, hey, this is a new song off our new album. Here it yeah. is. And they didn't, which is, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's fine or They sound not the fun. same as all the other songs, <laughs> so it's okay. I'm sure it would have been fine, you know? Yeah. yeah. Big horn lines with, uh... Bitter lyrics. Yeah. And fun ska. Yeah. It's good Great. stuff. Great stuff. Okay. That's all you really want in the summertime. Yeah. A lot of the time. Okay. I got some stuff to talk about. Speaking of ska music, or bands that used to be ska music. And became new wave bands. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you hear the new No Doubt track? Yeah. Oh, I saw the music video on TV. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of it? It was an alright song. The music video was... I think it's a piece of shit. Dumb. Yeah, that, and that's fair. It's kind of a piece of I shit. I think it's like a really horrible But song. I'll tell you why I thought it was okay. Because it's, you know, it's all... Because no doubt of this band who really actually started off as kind of a new wave band and then sort of developed into a bit more of a ska-oriented sound. Tragic Kingdom not their first album? No, their first album's self-titled, and that's a lot more new wavy. And their second album's actually a lot more punky. And then their third album, which is Tragic Kingdom, is where they bring ska. And then after that, they kind of go into a bit more of a dance pop direction. And this track is really just a continuation of that sound. And so with that in mind, it sounded okay. But yeah, it's definitely way too polished and way too 2012 radio friendly. Yeah, and it's just sort of like it doesn't have any hooks. Like, it, there's nothing catchy about it. I listened to it this morning, and there was actually a point 
during the song where I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, this is bad. Yeah. It's, like, really terrible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's pretty bad, I guess. I, I, I just, really I bad. really, really love Gwen Stefani. So it's just... I can get uh, that. I, I actually liked, I like a lot of Gwen Stefani's, like, like solo stuff. Yeah, her solo stuff was good, and I, I just like had a really big crush on her, so... Yeah, she's pretty <laughs> So I just kind of, like, saw this new music video with her looking all pretty, and I was like, this song's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never... I didn't, like, you know, I played it through the music video, because that's the link that was on Sputnik, but I didn't actually watch the yeah, music video. Yeah, it's a video. bad music video. Yeah, it made sure it, it worse. Um, yeah, it was fucking... It was a bad song. I don't know I don't know what the song's called. Yeah, me neither. Like, because, like, I don't like No Doubt's... New stuff, like, or, sorry, not their new See, stuff. See, I really like their, like, like, the end of career no date. Okay, because I don't, like, even, I don't even like Don't Speak. Yeah, that song's all right. You know? It's not great. But, like, I really like the dance songs. Like, you know, Hey Baby's do? a really good song. Hey Baby's, like, and, uh, I, never, I always found that song kind of obnoxious. True. It is, it is. But that's what's fun. Like, I, I really like their club songs. They are obnoxious. I get why fun. you would like them. I can understand them. But that's the thing. Is like, I can understand why people like that music, even though I don't listen to it. Yeah. Whereas this new song is just total shit, I Yeah. Think. Yeah, it's like, true. poorly written, bad shit. Yeah, it doesn't inspire much confidence in a new No Doubt album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm probably not going to listen to it either. But, you know, just because of all the internal conflict that band had, it's kind of impressive that they're even together making new music at all. Granted, it sounds more like it's just a new Gwen Stefani solo track, so it seems like the band might not have participated all that much anyhow. Yeah, that's true. It do, yeah, I guess that was my other problem, is that it does sound very, like, Gwen Stefani. Yeah. But so did the late No Doubt track, so yeah. it kind of, it's really just a continuation of... The fact that they were just a vehicle for Gwen Stefani by the end of their career, anyway. Yeah, I mean that's why it's it's a weird thing when you get the when you get into that dance pop thing because you know you suddenly you're using all these electronics and stuff, mm -hmm. so you really do lose sight of the band. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, you do. Well, yeah, that's a weird part of this song too is that you to, you don't it doesn't sound like there's a band playing no. it, and so like in the music video the bands are there playing like you know their guitars and the bass and the drums, but you just it doesn't it feels fake because you don't really hear those instruments very mm -hmm. audibly. Yeah, well, maybe yeah. they're there, but it just kind of sounds like it's all made on a computer. Yeah, so yeah, that's a bad track. Don't want to listen to it again. Yeah, it wasn't too good, I guess. I do want to listen to it again, because I want to form a more full opinion, but... Okay. But yeah, it wasn't very good, I guess. <laughs> Alright. I listened to, uh... Did you see Husky on the on the front page of Sputnik? No. I forget exactly what it was that drew me to it. It was The, the review, like, wasn't great. It sort of said, like, okay... This isn't the best album ever, but it does some interesting things. It's sort of like this indie folk, indie folk kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, the album's called Forever, so... And yeah, like, I don't love it, but it's okay. It's like, it does some interesting stuff. Like what? Um, just some kind of interesting sounds. A couple of really interesting songs. Like there's, there's, there's like one or two really great songs. These banjo really effectively hmm. in, in a not cheesy way. Um... I don't know. I don't really have much to say about it. It's not the greatest album ever or anything. It's not that. It's not bad. It's not good. It does some. I'm not gonna things. listen to an album if it's not the greatest ever. <laughs> What's the point? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Husky. I don't know anything about Husky. I don't Husky know. do. Husky. <laughs> I don't know if they're like a well-known band or if they're popular or if. They have more than one album. I don't really know anything about them. I didn't take the time to look them up. So that's a good thing, though, sometimes, to, to listen to an album with no outside context and just judge it on his own merits. Yeah. Because, you know, it's hard once you know about a band or sometimes. know about their other work to judge an album just based on the songs that are present on that album. Yeah. You're always, you know, for me, I know I'm always 
creating this more mythical kind of story for it. And so the album becomes whatever I want it to be within yeah. the context of the band's catalog. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of... The songs themselves aren't... They're, they're kind of forgettable. But there are some interesting sounds on it hmm. that I like. How did you do that? I don't know, dude. This is, <laughs> God just, just intervened. Some water just literally flew out of my cup. I don't know what the message... I don't know what message he's trying to send me, but there's something here. It's just gotta be. Look at the pattern of those, of those drops. Yeah, maybe they're trying to is tell me face? something. Is it, does it look like Jesus? Maybe... <laughs> oh, if you connect them, it's a cross. It's a oh squiggle. It's not a cross. It's a squiggle. Yeah, it's just a squiggle. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have anything to talk about? Well, I uh, husky do. Husky do. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, well, last night after we watched that episode of Metal Evolution, I decided to go home and listen to some Deep Purple. Yeah. And I put on the album of theirs, you know, because, like, the three Mark II albums have become, obviously, the Deep Purple albums that I listen to the most Which now. is which has how it should be. Yeah. Well, I used to be really into the Mark I albums, actually. I thought those were really cool psychedelic albums. I still do. But, like, you know, the Mark II is where they really sort of, like, incorporate all of the sort of stuff they had been working on in Mark One and just make it, like, this fucking hard rock sound, uh, you know, a heavy metal sound, uh, but there's all, it's a, sort of like, you know, there's Deep Purple and Rock is the beginning of Mark 1, and Machine Head is the end of Mark 1, or Mark 2, rather, of Mark 2. What about Fireball? Right, so Fireball falls in between those two albums, and it seems to be sort of forgotten a lot of the time, you know, by, by critics of Deep Purple and by myself when I'm listening to Deep Purple, and, uh, and you know, and so I listen to that album, and it's pretty cool, it has some really rock and stuff, but there's just something about it that it just doesn't feel as cohesive or something than the other two. I don't know what it is. Well, that's kind of how I feel about Machine Head. Like, I feel like Machine, mm, Machine yeah, Head Machine has a is like a, least, a less cohesive version of In Rock. Like, I think In Rock is an amazing mm. record. Yeah. Um, and then Machine Head, like, it doesn't really do it for me. There's, there's, a, there's a sort of... It's a little chunkier. And it's yeah, sort of it it's sort of more less, metal. Yeah, it sounds a little more metal, and it's like less fluid. There's a there's like a fluidity to the stuff on in rock, and maybe that comes down to the production or just the way that. I think songs it might are also have to do with yeah, like I think it might have to do with the fact that that is still coming right off of their sort of like maybe classical yeah. inspired psychedelic phase, and so it's sort of like there's still a lot of that left over, but pushing on to a clearly much heavier yeah. sound. You know, like I think John Lord is maybe more prominent in In-Rock, and that's a big part of it. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe... John Lord is their there's organist. Also a, like, we just passed away. I know, I, I just fucking... We missed that yeah. last week. I didn't yeah. I didn't take note of it. Yeah, that's a real bummer. John yeah. Lord died he was, from, he was an uh, incredible musician. That was actually one of the new stars I, I was going to bring in. Mm -hmm. uh, let me just see what he died from. Uh, he had pancreatic cancer, and yeah, he just died from that. He suffered a fatal pulmonary embolism. I don't really know what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a real shame. Like, that guy is, first off, or really, like, you know, we were watching Metal Evolution yesterday, and he seems like a really smart person. Yeah, he seems like a smart All the dude. people in Deep Purple, at least two people who talked, which I guess were just John Lord and and Ian Pace. And yeah. Roger, what's his name? Roger, Roger Glover. Like, they all seem like smart people. Yeah, for sure. Which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's a real shame. Like, that guy is super influential and really amazing with what he did. Like, bringing mm -hmm. the, or, you know, the Hammond organ and its role in rock music is synonymous with John Lord. Yeah, for that sure. That is what he did, you know? Yeah, he made the organ heavy. Yeah, and then when you hear organ, like, you know, you automatically think of Deep Purple. Yeah, I know I do. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, or satanic churches. Yeah. 
<laughs> right. So yeah, too bad. Real, real shame about John Lord. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool person. Anyways, yeah. Uh, so deep purple stuff. Yeah. What was I saying? Yeah, In Rock has this very like proggy thing about it that I, yeah. I like a lot. Yeah, and I guess they sort of you know as they went along after that album, they started to kind of. Uh, phase that element of their sound out. Yeah. That definitely comes from their more early experimental stuff. Yeah. It's a lot more... Yeah, like, there are a lot of, like, mini epics on that album. Mm-hmm. Um, Child, like Child, Child Time. And, and even, uh, what's the rat one? Fucking, I forget what it's called. Something Rat. Yeah. I forget. But, yeah, you know, it has all those tracks. And a lot of the tracks on In Rock are, like, seven or eight minutes long. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I guess Machine Head sort of brings it tighter, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh... Yeah, and Fireball's kind of the transition for that. Right. Yeah, like, you know, Smoke on the Water is on Machine Head. Yeah. But that's kind of a mini epic in its own right. I don't like Smoke on the Water. That's just one of those songs that I could never tell you if I like or not because... (laughs) Yeah, I can understand that. Because, yeah, it's just like, you know, just such a staple of classic rock radio and it's really hard for me to judge any of those songs with any kind of objectivity at all. Like, I feel like I when I first got into Deep Purple as a youngster... I hated that song just because it was the one that was always on the radio, <clears throat> but I think it has such an awesome riff that I can't say I hate that song. I mean, when I was young, I really liked that song. When I was yeah. getting into rock music, I was like, yes! Yeah, no, you know what, I'm you sure know? I thought it was a really rockin' song, but I already had it in my mind, like, this is a song I always hear on the radio, I'm already sick of it. Mm. <clears throat> Fair enough. But it also has Highway Star, which is an incredible yeah. song. That song's badass. That song fucking rips. Um, yeah, so I don't know. But yeah, so you don't you don't think Fireball is great? I think it's good, but I think that listening to it sort of confirmed why it sort of gets lost among the other two Mark II Deep Purple albums. Deep Purple are a weird band because like they're a super influential and really good band, but they only have like one really good album. I would say one really good album, which is well, you know. Like I said, like I'm a fan of their first three albums that are sort of a lot more psychedelic oriented, and then the next three are all really solid in their own ways. And after that, they still did a few decent things. You know, like Ian Pace obviously left the band, and uh, what's his face, David Coverdale, who would go on to form Whitesnake. Became... Wait, Ian Pace left the band? Wait, is he no. the singer? No, Ian Pace is a drummer. Oh, never mind. Whoever the singer was at that time, Ian, Ian Gillian. Ian Gillian. Ian Gillian. He left the band, and then they got David Coverdale, who came in as a singer, and they began to put in more of a kind of R&B influence in their music, which is always really cool to me in theory. Like, when I read reviews talking about the fact that, you know, their albums throughout the 70s got progressively more influenced by, like, soul and funk, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's really cool. But then I listen to it, and it just, I don't really hear it in there all that much, and so it just doesn't end up doing much for me. I listened to Bananas once. Oh, yeah, that was from, like, the 2000s, right? Yeah. Was that album any good? Mm, it was okay. Yeah. It was it's really, like, well-received. Yeah, it is. Generally... It's Actually, I tried listening to it once, too, and found it pretty boring. Yeah, I thought it was kind of boring. Like most old dudes playing rock music. Uh, yeah. Sorry, give me one second. Okay. Uh, alright. Yeah. So, I saw on Sputnik that Flea released an EP. Oh, yeah? I thought he was releasing it. I didn't know it no, was no, already it's, released. It's out, it's out. Um, so I was listening to it. I wanted to listen to it. This morning. Flea is the basis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. For those who somehow live under a rock. <laughs> so, I wanted to, to listen to the that. the biggest band on the planet. <laughs> They're not the biggest band on the planet. No, one of them, though. One of them. It's like them, U2, and Green Day for the last decade. Coldplay. Have been, and Coldplay have been, like, ripping shit up as yeah. far as rock bands go. 
Yeah. I would maybe put Foo Fighters up there, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But, like, not as much as those other four Nickelback bands. is really big. Yeah, Nickelback's big. But in a, in a different kind of way. Yeah. Because everybody hates Nickelback, even though everybody loves Nickelback. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I was listening to it this morning just to sort of bring it as a little curiosity and, mm-hmm. like, I didn't think it would be very good. Mm-hmm. But surprisingly, it's actually fucking awesome. Sweet. It's, like, what a real surprise. That? It's, like, these sort of, like, so you would think, I thought a Flea solo EP would be kind of, like, lots of, like, bass funk jams. Yeah, that's what I would want it to be. <laughs> Not at all. What it actually is is a bunch of, like, electronic soundscapes. Cool. And it's kind of, it's like really good. It's like some really cool stuff. A couple, there are a couple moments where it sort of becomes just like, hey, check it out, guys. S- sounds. Mm-hmm. Bam. Yeah. But like, for the most part, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I didn't have a chance to because it was sort of like like 20 minutes before you got here. And mm-hmm. the album's about half an hour long. I listened to about half of it. It's like, it's really cool, though. Like, he touches on some really nice soundscapes and... Uh, can you get lost in them? Yeah, you can totally get lost in them. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> um, Patty Smith is on a track. Oh, really? Just yeah. Like she provides vocals. She sings. Yeah, she sings on a track. It's a, it's like a really cool album. Hmm, sounds uh, like it's it's the 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 greatest surprise I've had all year, so far. Yeah, it's like really cool, and it's not all electronic. Like there's there's some live stuff. There are some bass lines. Um, well, that's good, because I wouldn't want him to abandon the bass altogether. No, 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 there are, there are some bass lines. There's, like, some good, some cool drum drum work and some bass stuff and, like, some sort of jazzy tones. Cool. <coughs> it's, like, a real, yeah, it's a really neat little electronic album. Uh, what's it called again? That, oh, it's called it's called Helen Burns. You can get it off of his website um, for a donation of whatever you want. You can pay nothing for it. Um, but the music is going, or sorry, the, all the money is going to, let me just find for a second, because I forget exactly where it's going to. Flee. <laughs> it's uh, back pockets. No, but it's not. That's the beauty. Okay, yeah, it's going, it's, it's going to the Silver Lake Conservatory of Music. Oh, cool. So, yeah, so it's, it's all, like, all of the money is going to it. He's not making any money off of it. Um, if you want to, you can also buy a vinyl version of it for seventy-five dollars. Wow! That comes with. Um, let me just look this up because I remember. Okay, so it comes with a string of a bass that he has played on. Hmm. Oh, sorry, a piece of bass string, and it's autographed right. by him. Seventy-five dollars, guys, for that. But it's still cool, anyways. Like the, all the charity stuff is really awesome, and I think that's a really good thing to do. Flea seems like a cool guy. Yeah, I've always thought. It seems like pretty cool. So yeah, I would actually recommend that album. I think it's I think it's like a pretty pretty cool thing to check out. Cool, I should, I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, blitzing through here. Check out Bad Bad Not Good's newest album. Oh, that was really neat. Yeah, it's awesome. So Bad Bad Not Good are an instrumental, jazzy hip hop group from Toronto. Actually, like they're all people from. They go to my school. Yeah, they go to Corey School, Humber College. Uh, which is in Toronto. They've all graduated from there. They're uh, three-piece, so it's like uh, piano, bass, and drums. And what they do is like these hip-hop cover versions of, well, hip-hop tracks. Um, well, they're interesting because they're much more interpolation than yeah. cover. Yeah, they don't really, like a lot of the time, they don't really feel like the song. Except or they Flashing do. Lights by Kanye West, which feels a yeah, lot Yeah, that like one's pretty good. The but they also, you know, they do, so this is their second album, which is called BBNG2. 
because um, you know the first one is BBNG one, and they actually you can download both of these albums from their website for free. Um, they actually you know they're they're what they do is really neat, and this album has some originals on it, which I think sound great. I think their originals are pretty amazing. I think I actually like their originals more than their covers. But their covers are really cool too because they're not boring and they sort of keep this instrumental hip hop vibe. But they also really like you know they sound very jazzy. Yeah, they stretch it out a lot. Yeah, it's a lot, and it's, it's a lot what you said of of you know it sounds like sort of they're more like influenced by the songs than the songs themselves, or yeah, like, like they got they'll like a feel of the song, like maybe like one sort of like melody part or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, they do a cover of Limit to Your Love by James Blake. Yeah, they do. That one's really cool. And that one sounds like that song, yeah, it but does. it sounds like an instrumental version that sort of, it sort of starts off as a song and goes to all these kind of interesting The Odd Future ones are the ones that sound the least like the source material, like the Earl and Bastard. To me, both didn't really sound too much like those songs. Earl actually does, but you sort of have to listen. It's, like, kind of subtle. It, it happens, like, you, you have to go back and listen to Earl and then be like, oh, okay, I see what they're sort of taking here. Yeah. I think Bastard sounds kind of like Bastard does. Hmm. Maybe there's actually, yeah, there's some cool videos of them actually playing with Tyler, the creator, yeah, on YouTube, really cool. which I'll actually I'll link to that. I'll just make a note here to do that. That's so sweet. Um, yeah, there's, there's a really cool one where it's actually, where Tyler is actually playing the piano and they're doing an instrumental version of Fish. And Fish Instrumental is a really cool song, actually. As bad of a song as it actually is. No, that was a funny song. Nah, it sucks. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's a shitty song. But Instrumental, <laughs> it's, it's like a really great tune. It's like really kind of heavy and, and interesting. Hmm. Like a lot of Goblin tracks. Yeah. A lot of Goblin tracks have really good beats. Yeah, Tyler Creator created some great music on that album. Yeah. That's just a really good album. It was just a shame that it sort of like... But you hate it. I hated it when it came out, yes. Because, you know, I had, there was so much hype for it in the industry, and I had created so much hype by being such a big fan of, of, you know, his first underground album and stuff, and Goblin just didn't live up to any of that. But I had wild expectations, so whenever there's that in place, I'm obviously not going to like it. You know, Goblin grew on me a lot as time went on, as I sort of expected it to, Right. but it still just isn't as great as Bastard. No, it's not, but but I'm, I'm glad that you've come around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, I put it on my list of top ten albums of the year. Oh, yeah, I guess you it did. It might even be higher on the list today. All right. Yeah. You think we'll have enough to, to do another one of those this year? Maybe. <laughs> I haven't been listening to anything new. Yeah, I've sort of been... Not, nothing much has piqued my interest. Yeah, exactly. But, been, there's been so many cool-looking releases, but nothing that's really made me be like, I have to check I feel like out. I can put together, like, a top five, at least. Yeah, I can't. I don't even know what I've listened to from this year. I don't think I've listened to anything yet. No, I don't think you have. Uh, you gotta keep up on that shit. Yeah. It's just hard. Like, I'm just not all that interested in listening to new music most of the time. Well, like, not a lot has come out that I've been particularly interested in. Yeah. A lot of some... There have been some pretty, like... There have been some electronic albums that I've wanted to check out that I have mm. not gotten a chance to, to do yet. So yeah. So I hope, hope I'll be able to do that by year's end. Yeah, uh, I guess I mean, it was I, Killer Mike's album. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And I imagine, like... I mean, I'm going to Israel in August, and I think... Um... What was I saying? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll probably get a lot of stuff before I go on that trip. Yeah. Just to prepare myself. So hopefully I'll get through some of that backlog there. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Well, speaking of... But that being said, speaking of cool 2012 releases, Passion Pit's new album is out. Right. Called Gossamer. Have you listened to it yet? Oh, yes. I listened to it fully this morning, and I have to... i got to give it some more time, but that album is really, really good. Cool. 
Is it everything you hoped it would be? Kinda, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit less hooky than I was hoping it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, you know, Passion Pit's first album doesn't have that many good hooks, hooks anyways, and that's kind of what's disappointing about it. Yeah. It has like four or five really good hooky songs, and the rest are kind of disappointing because of, they don't have that. But Gossamer is great. It's a little bit... It's it's very big. It's like a very big sounding album, mm-hmm. as it kind of should be. Yeah, I mean, based on Sleepyhead, I expect them to be a big sounding band. Oh, they are. Yes, definitely. And uh, it's very big. But the the one thing that it does a lot better than Manners is that it, which is the first album, is that it uh, the lyrics on Manners are sort of personal, but come off as total nonsense. Mm-hmm. Whereas the lyrics on Gossamer are like very relatable. And very good and well written and like that's sort of the big change here. Yeah. Like sound wise, they still sound like Passion Pit. They're bigger even than like their first album is, and they, they sound great. Like it's it's really good sounding stuff. But it's the lyrics sort of that um, put it over the edge a little bit. All right. Yeah, it's it's really good. I'm I'm really happy that they were able to do that because when Manners came out, I was like, oh god, this is. And I got into Passion Pit because I saw them live. Like I saw them oh, live yeah. at Tiva. I had no idea who they were. Mm-hmm. And then I saw them live, and they they, re- they really won me over. And I got Manners, and I liked... You know, at first I was like, this is fucking awesome. And then I realized that there were only, like, about half of that album that I really, really liked. And then I just wanted them to come out with a second album that was, like, amazing. Like, totally mind-blowing. And, and, and I feel like they have maybe done that. I, I can't quite confirm it, because I haven't listened to the album enough. But, you know, I got some good stuff to listen to over the next week or so. Hmm. You know, that album is probably going to hold my attention for a little while. Pretty cool. Good out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Do you have anything else? Yeah. That's, that's I have my a lot list. Of stuff. Okay. Oh, okay. Because that's my list of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to. Uh, <clears throat> I've been listening to a lot of Zappa, uh, in particular Zappa though. I, uh, you know, because I, I feel like, you know, I always like Zappa's albums are obviously there's like so much variety in his career, but one thing that's kind of consistent is his distinctly snide kind of humor uh and you know but as a musician and a composer he's obviously so incredibly talented that it's always nice to sort of listen to music of his that's a bit free from that that snideness you know like hot rats for instance which is a sort of his one of his jazz fusion albums so you sort of you know there's still so much of his distinct personality in the music but without that kind of winking at the audience uh, so I decided to check out this series of albums he released back in, in the early 80s called uh, Shut Up and Play Your Guitar, which is a really clever title. Like, it's really in, you know, it's his kind of humor to call an album that because it's kind of like, you know, his, uh, you know, because his songs are sort of like all his like wacky humor and all these like weird monologues and stuff. So like, you know, I'm sure that like it was sort of like some of his audience's feelings of just like shut up and play your guitar. <laughs> and, I feel uh, like it's maybe not his audience. Like you know, Zappa's audience likes Zappa and all that shit. I'm sure, but but, but the ones who sort of take the music maybe more seriously and were kind of sick of like, especially in the '70s, because it seems like yeah. more and more people felt like he was sort of gearing his music toward the lowest common denominator with his humor. Yeah, which is true. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, dumb stuff. are not really that funny. There's, yeah. they're, they're a little funny. Yeah, yeah. They're funny songs, but they're not smart. Yeah, exactly. His older albums are. Exactly. So I could sort of see it sort of wanting people wanting him to... Yeah, and, uh, and it's cool, like, there's like a three-part album, and the first one's called Shut Up and Play Your Guitar, and the second one's called Shut Up and Play Your Guitar Some More, and the third one is called The Return of the Son of Shut Up and Play Your Guitar, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. And it's cool. Basically, what the albums are is uh, 
they took a whole bunch of live recordings from like 1979 and 1980 and just sort of like like exerted the sections that of where he was just soloing with the band and stuff. So it kind of creates this like alternate universe mothers of invention where they're just playing all this crazy sort of like uh almost virtuoso type of but like very still like proggy and avant-garde kind of stuff. But like, you know, the solos are just so like unique and like and and Fluid and pretty, but also really intense. I mean, but it's Zappa solos too. Yeah, it's Zappa, Zappa solos. Guitar, yeah, yeah, and yeah, he just like plays so much cool stuff that you sort of don't think about when you're listening to his music with all those other elements present. When it's just kind of boiled down to his solos, he sounds like he could have played in like a prog metal band. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So yeah, that's good stuff. And then, uh, uh. Yeah, I guess the reason I sort of got into Frank Zappa is that I have been listening to so much Fish, and they kind of inspire me to listen to more Prague and Frank Zappa, because those are kind of like their biggest influences. Uh, and so I, but it's funny that Frank Zappa would inspire a band so hippie. But that's what's awesome Fish. about them, is that like they're so unique in the jam band scene because as much as they're kind of like you know, looked at as neo-hippies or whatever, you know, their main influences are alternative rock bands. Like, as much as Trey Anastasio loves the Grateful Dead and stuff, you know, they're a band who, who love Frank Zappa and the Talking Heads and the Velvet Underground and, you know, bands who people who listen to jam music don't really listen to. Yeah. But, you know, it shows in kind of Fish's distinct sort of, like, personality that's very sort of, like, weird and wacky. Yeah, uh, Fish are also pretty good about not talking about bullshit hippie things. Yeah. Like, they're never like, love everybody or anything. Yeah, like, exactly. their, songs are, mostly, really their songs are mostly just weird. Yeah. That's not their attitude, and that's not their audience either. Like, yeah. there are, there's not really a lot of hippies in a Fish crowd. Well, there are, but they're, like, sort of, like, neo-hippies. Like, they're, like, new But not hippies. really. You know, like, I think the whole stereotype of, like, you know, dreads and granola and tie-dye may be applied in the 90s, but that's not really who Fish's audience is today. Today, it's just a lot of sort of, like, regular college kids who like to party. Right. Uh, but, yeah, so I decided to listen to Trey Anastasio's solo album from, like, 2002 when Fish were on hiatus and stuff, and that's pretty cool. Like, it, it sounds a bit too slick at times, but uh, it sounds, to me, like... A lot more kind of the only I, I can only think of like a totally bullshit word to describe it. It sounds a lot more vibrant than your typical sort of fish studio album, which often sound a little kind of dull compared to their live performances. But Trey, you know, when he went to work on a solo album, got a real crack band together, and so it's just like really tight, funky horn parts. And like, who's in that band? Do you know anyone? I, I have no idea the names. I'm gonna of look it up players. and see if there's anyone who I know. But uh, keep talking. Uh, and so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was from 2002, and, uh, you know, uh, Trey Anastasio can be a really good songwriter and can also write some kind of boring songs, and this album is kind of not really an exception to that. But even the weaker stuff, like, stands out more than the weaker things on Fish albums do. Uh, just because, I guess, Fish are a band who are so meant to be heard playing together live. Um, yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's no one I know on this album. Yeah. But it just, you know, it has some... Some 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 pleasant stuff to listen to and 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 one thing that's cool too like toward the end of the album he be, it begins to a bit more of a sort of like classical influence begins creeping into some of the songs and there's one song that's clearly just a sort of like little classical piece and it's always cool when he shows that influence because he always and, a and, and how is that musician it's sweet it sounds really pretty cool yeah 
Yeah, so that's that was nice. Cool. Um, and I listened to. Uh, I've been trying to get into the Melvins because the Melvins are a band I've always thought were really cool because they're sort of like you know one of those bands in the '80s who sort of came out of the whole sort of like post-punk aesthetic, but were still playing doom metal. You know, like them and Saint Vitus, I think, are like those two kind of bands who sort of like were punks playing metal. And I guess that was such a huge influence on the whole grunge movement. Mm. And, uh, you know, the Melvins have a really cool sound, and but their vocalist just kind of annoys me, so it's really hard to get into Which, any of their uh, stuff. I mean, the Melvins are one of those bands who have a ton of albums. Yeah, they're way Which prolific. one did you get, out of curiosity? I, I sort of just went with the sort of, like, prime period of theirs, which is sort of during the grunge boom. Like, their early stuff is probably, is, is from what I've listened to, kind of, like, really noisy. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people, I think their classic albums are, like, the pre-grunge stuff, like the probably. Sort of late 80s. Melvins, yeah, if more classic material. Yeah, but uh, they're definitely like some of their revered albums are the ones they released from. Uh, there's basically there's like three albums. There's Bullhead, which sort of kicked off that period of the them sort of like beginning to sort of like be. I mean, it's still sort of a pre-grunge album, but it still sort of ushered them into that era. And and that's my favorite one so far uh, that I've listened to. Probably also the only one I've listened to all the way through. And then after that, they released Houdini and then Stoner Witch. And those three albums are all quite well-received, but I couldn't really get into Houdini or Stoner Witch. They both sound a bit boring. Yeah. But uh, but Bullhead was really good, I think, at sort of like making it the sound completely focused on their doom kind of roots and not really ever... Uh, uh, sort of like going beyond that and that really works effectively for the Melvins. Houdini has a sweet cover of Going Blind by Kiss which is awesome. I really love how like Melvins like Kiss is a huge influence on the Melvins so they have like a lot of covers and the funniest thing they've done to to pledge their allegiance to Kiss is that in their very early days too like this was probably this probably happened in the late 80s like even before Bullhead they simultaneously released a solo album each and like they designed the covers of the solo albums to look like the Kiss solo albums <laughs> and it's funny. funny and they're pretty interesting albums too like I listen to those and it's it's kind of cool to hear a band who was thoroughly early in their development just sort of like each of their members kind of showing what they could do yeah. the drummers actually was the most interesting because it just kind of sounded like really kind of well made uh like melodic kind of grunge songs. Mm. Um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, the Melvins are a band that I've always tried to get, or, uh, sorry, that's a lie. I've never actually tried to get into the Melvins before, but I've always kind of wanted to, yeah. as I sort of have always been peripherally interested in bands that influence Nirvana. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've never actually gotten into them before, but mostly because yeah. I'm overwhelmed by their catalog. Yeah, totally. I, Bullhead seems to be a really good place to start. Like, okay. Buzz Osborne is a great guitar player and a kind of annoying vocalist, but he's still is also kind of a cool vocalist. Like, I, I feel like his main influence is Gene Simmons as a vocalist because it seems like he's trying to sing like the demon all the time. <laughs> and I should love that, but it, get, it, it gets pretty grating. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, Melvins are a pretty cool band. I, I'd like to get deeper into their prolific catalog. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, yeah, I guess that's pretty much everything I've been listening to. All right, news. I actually have some news this week. Um, with the triumphant return of Gallagher news. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Liam Gallagher has gotten very angry with Noel Gallagher. Because um, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds is now 
touring with Snow Patrol, or we'll be going on a tour with Snow Patrol, who are like a shitty band. Um, and so, in response to this, Liam Gallagher posted on his Twitter, Snow Patrol, Noel Gallagher's high-flying Smurfs. <laughs> Jeez. That, that, that's it. That, that's the entire news story. That's clever stuff. Fucking the pettiest man. Yeah. Like, what is wrong with... Ugh. Oh, those Gallagher's. Those Gallagher's. Liam just seems like a fucking idiot. Yeah, clearly. What a dumb guy. Liam is clearly an idiot. God. So, yeah, that's what Gallagher needs for this week. All right. <laughs> Snore Patrol! <laughs> wah, wah. Um, no effects have announced that they're releasing a new album. Uh, it's going to come out in September 11th, on September 11th. Um, Does this excite you? Self-Entitled is what it's called. Uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. Like, I'm sure I'll enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, I like NoFX a lot. Um, I actually like a lot of their newer stuff, too. Like, I thought War on Errorism is a really, really good album. I mean, that album's like a decade old already. It's hardly new. It's not a decade old. It's no, like, it's from like 2002, wasn't 2004. it? 2004. Mm, okay. Because yeah. so it, it, was, it, was, it, was it was a response to Bush's, like, second yeah, I guess so. run, sort of. Or it was, it was a, an effort to stop him from trying to be present again. It might have been 2003. So, almost, yeah, it's almost a decade old. Yeah. But I like that album. I liked, um... I liked Wolves and Wolves Clothing. I thought yeah. that was a pretty cool album. Yeah, I liked that album a lot in high school. Yeah. Coaster's kind of boring, mm-hmm. but has some good... Like, Coaster has some good songs, but it's, unfortunately, just sounds like a no-effects album. Like, they don't really do anything unique or, or interesting on that album. Yeah. Whereas Wolves and Wolves Clothing actually does some some pretty neat things. and has a lot of... You know, that, that, that album has, like, a lot of songs and a lot of, like, short, weird songs on it. Yeah. Which I like a lot. That's what I remember, like, <laughs> yeah. that album. Yeah, and that, song, that album's pretty funny, too, whereas Coaster is kind of... just kind of boring... And they know it. Fat Mike is too busy dressing like a clown and giving people drugs. Yeah. Well, he didn't give people drugs. Didn't he? No, he pissed in their cups. Oh, yeah. But they also put other dangerous things in his cups, in their cups, I no, think. No, I think he just pissed in them. He was uh, giving out booze. He was giving out booze and he peed I feel like them. he put, like, shards of glass in them or he something. He did not do that. He did something really fucked up. No, he, didn't he, just peed, pee no, he peed in them. That was what was fucked up. Fair enough. I, I promise you that is, that is what he did. Fair enough. I guess that's pretty fucked the up. Whether he actually did that or not is, is, like, it's possible that he didn't actually do that. Because what it did was he handed out the booze, and then there was a video playing of him pissing in the booze. That doesn't mean he actually gave out that booze. But I feel like people drank it and like said that it, there was like it, there was piss in it. They only they only thought it was gross uh, after they saw like piss anyway. <laughs> they only thought it was gross after they saw this video. So it very possibly could have been totally un- like not a thing that he actually did. Yeah, I guess. I guess at the time it really just seemed like he was having a breakdown. Yeah, which you, was, which it does seem like. You yeah. Know. yeah. So so I just totally believed that anything crazy he was claiming to do was actually happening. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, this first album since Coaster, which was kind of a boring album, and they know it. Like when I saw them live, they were like, "We're gonna play a song from Coaster. It's not as good as their other stuff, but you know, <laughs> that's a really funny. That's a really funny thing to say when you're playing live. Yeah, it's like they know. They know it's not their classic material, but they, I think there are. There's like. One or two songs that I really like off of Coaster, and then the rest of it is kind of forgettable. Mm. But even then, like, it wasn't a terrible album. It just was mostly forgettable. Yeah. Um, that's okay. Most albums aren't that good anyway. Most albums aren't that good? Yeah. Like, and most albums from, like, past the 80s aren't that good. Like, I'm just starting to realize... I disagree with that entirely. But, you know, like, I feel like there are so many albums where, like, I get excited for an album and stuff, and then I realize that, like, nothing can live up to my expectations, because... It's a really big challenge to write a strong set of it songs. Is. You know, most albums have like 
a few strong tracks on it and like a few forgettable tracks. I mean, yeah. Again, Unless they have really cohesive sounds, and those albums, I think, are more likely to trick me into thinking that they're strong sets of songs because they're so cohesive. But I think it's total bullshit to make the statement that there are no good albums past the 80s. Of or that, course or I'm that being, it's rarer. Of course I'm being hyperbolic, but I do think that, like, after the grunge era, there, there's a distinct dip in Well, I mean, the grunge era was the 90s. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I meant, like, after the early But I would totally disagree with that. You know, there were a ton of really great albums released in the 2000s. Like, a lot of really good shit. Think of you know what? I, I every don't Bond the Music uh, Industry I, album, or Laura Stevenson's albums, or Destroyers, or, like, any, or any of, like, The Roots' albums, or anything that you liked a lot from last year. Yeah, Or The a, Strokes. There are or, still like, albums that are consistent sets of songs, but... But even then, I feel like some of those albums are just tricking me. No, I don't think so. I think you are purposely marginalizing things for yourself. I think you are tricking your brain because you don't want to believe that fact. Mm. Because you have a way of romanticizing old times that you didn't... No, no, through. okay, okay. I shouldn't have said past this time. Like, I was just being a dick by saying that. I don't mean that. Like, I think that even in 70s albums, when it seems like... The idea of the album is more important, so bands yeah, drive I would, more. Yeah, I would almost say, like, there are more good albums now and in the 90s than there were in, like, the 70s. No, I don't think so. I think there are a lot of albums in the 70s that trick people into being, into, like, thinking that they're great albums when they only have a couple really good songs. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely still a lot of that then, too. But bands still, I think, strived more to create albums that feel more like full pieces. That's funny, because I think that's total bullshit, because the, the, the concept of the album as a cohesive piece of work was such a new idea in the 70s. But it was at, but it was at its peak, even if it was a new idea. I don't think that's true at all. Because like, I think the Beatles did it pretty well, but even the Beatles don't really think of their albums as consistent things. They sort of think of them as like, yeah, we were writing these songs, we put them on. Like, the Beatles yeah, have a very true. nonchalant attitude towards Which I always music. find so bizarre. Yeah. Because, like, we look back on them as being so distinct. Yeah. And like, eh. Yeah, they have, a very, they have a, like, if you listen to them talk, they are very nonchalant about the music they made. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the album as a format is such a new thing in the 70s that a lot of bands are still not, you know... I feel like the peak of that was like maybe the late 70s. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But let's just take eras out of it all together. Sure. Because I didn't mean to sure. turn that into Yeah, fine. Today. Good. I still feel like, like, you know, a lot of albums have a lot of filler and really good albums just kind of manage to, to make you feel like you're listening because you're listening to something cohesive. Each song is as important as the last. Sure. But usually it just isn't. Like even thinking about The Roots Undone right now, it's such a short album, and that's why it works so well, but there are still tracks that are clearly stronger than other tracks. You can say that if you take it, but that's the thing. It's like, that's your own perception of taking it as a collection of songs. But that's it's the only like, way to take but it. The, no, because it's not. Because if it's an album, especially an album like that, that has a concept, like you have to take certain songs as a functional aspect. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, that is, a, that is a point of taking that album more as a whole and not taking it as a collection of tracks. It's true. I think that's an interesting question in itself, like, of how we do take in our music because there is such a, a difference between taking in a full album as a piece of, of, of art and taking in, an in individual songs. Yeah. And I think that most great bands do excel when they're working on songs than yeah. albums. It's also the thing where you're talking about, like, this album stuff, it's like, you know, that comes down to most things aren't good. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, like, 
you know, think about, all, think about all the things that you experience and how many of those things are 100% great all but the that's, way through. But that's the thing, because they aren't, our mind to make things more comfortable for itself will just sort of be like, yeah, that whole thing is great and I loved it and there's not a whole lot to say to criticize it because it's just, I think, a more pleasant way of taking the piece in than to think about every single flaw and, and think about why certain parts were better than others and what makes them better and that ultimately sort of destroys the piece as a whole. But I don't think that's true. I think in that way, again, I think you're, you are taking it in a short-sighted sort of way of like, not thinking, you know, of if an album is a concept album, you sort of have to think about it. Again, you like, I mean, I'm only saying this because you used Undone as an example, where you have to think of some of the songs as, like, setups for other songs. And especially you have to think of them, again, in terms of, like, lyrical function and... But Undone never feels that way, you know? Like, it's not like The Wall, where no, it's not. songs that are so it's clearly not. to progress a story or something. But it still has this overarching idea of you are supposed to take... it. It's, the, it's that whole idea of, like, the journey being more important than the destination. If you are supposed to take each song as its own experience in this sort of greater whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and, it's like, and it's easy to do that with an album that's as excellent as that one. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's just because we dedicate so much time to sort of like, you know, looking at albums and like taking apart the album and, and thinking about the album that in some way songs end up getting forgotten to a certain extent. Because we're mean? always because we're always wanting to take in the album as a whole for valid reasons, uh, but then it's kind of like, you know, like I could find so many songs that I love off so many different albums sure. and like and listen to music that way. But for some reason, I choose to continue trying to find the albums that affect me and like and so I don't, you know, if there's an album where I only like one or two songs and the rest of it sounds like crap to me, I'm never going to listen to those one or two songs because I'm never going to listen to that album. Right. And like and somehow that's just how my mind has come to think about music is that like the album is such an important thing. Right. And I've just been thinking about how it's weird that albums in pop music are even still a thing because the whole pop industry is clearly about selling yeah. a single. And it's like, it's weird to me that these pop artists are releasing albums that are full of filler for like the fans of the single to buy. It's a bit of a holdover from the older days, but it's, yeah. also, it's also from a release avenue standpoint of like, these artists want to make that many songs. But and I don't they know can't they release do. all of those It seems like their label wants them to do that. And so they hire a team of people Presumably to write a set of songs that all have equal commercial opportunities, I suppose. Yeah. But only one or two of them but go again, on to be Well, that's the other thing. It's, it's like for a pop artist who isn't writing their own songs, it's also like that's it. It's like you have this pool of songs now yeah. that you are able to use. And I, I suppose that's the idea of yeah. the album today. Yeah. But if you look at someone like Lady Gaga who writes her own songs, like that's probably because she is a creative person and yeah. wants, you know, has yeah, all those clearly. songs. And, and her albums do sort of are, are conceptual from what I understand yeah, a little bit. To a degree, I to think. To a degree. I haven't listened to any of her albums, but that's what I hear. They're pretty boring. I'm sure they are. Yeah. I don't like Lady Gaga's music, but hey. I wanna. I wanna like it so bad. Yeah. Because I like her so much. Ah. Anyways. News. So, The Who... Um, this is crazy. Yeah. The Who canceled the show in 1979 that was in Providence on Rhode Island. They canceled the show... And they're now doing a show, or they're doing a show next year in Providence. Um, the reason why they stopped it, 
was that at a previous show in Ohio, like this was on there really. Oh no, it's 1979. So this uh, that's weird. Um, I thought they're okay. So they had this show where a bunch of people got trampled to death in Ohio. That was around. That was in like 1974. That was sort of like near the downfall of the Who sort of period. Mm-hmm. Um, and their peak. <laughs> yeah. Ah, no, 74. 74 is past their peak. Isn't that when Quadrophenia came out? It was Quadrophenia 73. Oh, okay. And even then, I wouldn't call Quadrophenia their peak, really. Their peak is, like, 69 to 71 is really their peak. I but mean, 71 much more than 69, I think. No, 69 is where all of their amazing shows are from. Oh, like, okay. Live at Leeds and Live at the Isle of Wight. And, like, yeah, I guess so. All I their guess. Tommy shows, which are, like, their shows that are the most well-documented and sort of their live peak are all from 69. Yeah, I guess I, I think about them as, like, as a studio band, so I forget that their live peak... Certainly, oh, was in the '60s. That's fucking crazy, man. Their live shit is amazing. Yeah, for sure. Their live stuff is so fucking good. Um, I guess I just, you know, I can't help but look at Who's Next and Quadrophena as like the Who's Peak, and so I think about them as being sort of like a band who were great in uh, the '70s. Tommy is so good. I always, I never Tommy. listen to Tommy anymore because, like, when I was in grade eight, I listened to the shit out of Tommy. Isn't that I'm like every yeah, day? Yeah, me too. But, I listened to it every day in high school, and I guess I've sort of subsequently kind of underrated it for myself and maybe that's why like Tommy's probably their best album uh, maybe the Who Sell Out but um yeah Who Sell Out for sure Tommy's a really fucking good album I just never listen to it anymore because I just it, you know Who's out. Next just has so much power that none of their other studio recordings have so yeah. it's hard for me to look at anything other than that as really being sort of like their peak yeah. anyways um yeah so they had this so, so apparently they weren't allowed to play the show uh in 1979 but now, um, they are playing a show at, apparently there's a place called the Dunkin' Donuts Center, which is, I guess, a stadium in, in Rhode Island. Where you can eat Dunkin' Donuts. Well, I mean, it's just like a, a stadium sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts, which yeah, is just kind of funny. Like, it's a funny organization to have a center named after. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. It's like so, there's a guy named Dunkin' Donuts. So the manager of the venue has said that if... Dunkin'. Dunkin' <laughs> yes, has said. Dunkin'. Mr. Dunkin'. Well, Donuts. Mr. Donuts. Yeah, Mr. Donuts. Sorry. <laughs> um, so he has said Donuts. that if, if anyone still has those tickets from 1979, that you can swap them for a new ticket that will let you into their show for free. Man, people who threw those tickets away must be pissed. Well, people who threw those shows tickets away must be pissed because those shows are huge collector's items, like oh, those yeah. tickets. And I, I feel like that's the motivation here. Like, I feel like the motivation is that... Maybe this manager wants those tickets. Like, he's a Who fan who wants the tickets and is willing to let people in for free to get those tickets. That sounds crazy. Not really. That makes him sound maniacal. No, he's a collector. He's probably a collector. Whatever. <laughs> Give me all your tickets. <laughs> hey, man, if people want to do that, like, if people have those tickets and, like, are willing to give those away for free entry into a new Who show, yeah. that's their fucking prerogative, you know? He's not saying, like, I'm forcing you to give me your tickets. Of course, of course. It's their choice. And, you know, if you're willing to give away this huge collector's item for The Who to see The Who who aren't even The Who anymore, mm-hmm. then that's your fucking deal, man. I, whatever. Yeah. Um, apparently on this show, on this on this tour that they're doing... They're playing Quadrophenia. They're playing Quadrophenia. Which is super it's cool. Tiny. It is cool. I wonder if they're doing it... Like, But it's not that cool because they don't have John Entwistle anymore. Yeah, it's true. Like, it was cool. Like, I have a DVD of them doing Quadrophenia right in, like, the 90s, in 96. Right? Yeah. Where, but, and the other thing is, like... Um, Roger Daltrey has his vocals are pretty solid for an old guy but like 
he can't hit a lot of those notes anymore. Like even in that show in the ninety from ninety six, he's doing a really good job, but he is he is stretching to hit yeah, those high Quadrophena notes. Yeah, Quadrophena has some of his best vocals. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and you know that album on that performance that I had, John Entwistle was still alive. Um, Pete Townsend was only playing an acoustic guitar. Right. But that's okay. Another guy doing electric. Yeah, another guy doing electric, and it was like this whole big production. They had these screens, sort of, with like a narrator doing stuff, and they had Zach Starkey playing drums, who goes really in and out of playing drums for the Who. Like he is ostensibly the Who's drummer now, but he's almost never there, from what I can understand. Is he going to be on this tour? I have no idea. Hmm. Um. So yeah, I don't know. That's I guess that's cool, but I don't really you know. Yeah. I am past the point of wanting to see the Who live. I've never seen the Who live. I have no intention of doing it because I don't want to see the Roger and Pete show. Yeah. It's like I have no interest in that. One member dead, fine. Two members dead, not cool. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's your entire rhythm section, who are really at the end of the day the coolest parts of your band. Yeah, it's true. So yeah, that's how I feel about that. Um, what else was there? Oh, Odd Future released some dates for their album releases. Yeah, I saw that. Domo Genesis's new album called No Idols is coming out really soon, actually, August 1st. Trash Talks album 119 is coming out on... October 9th. Yeah, October 9th. Metal Hype's new album is October 2nd, and Tyler's new album Wolf in November. And that's all well and good, but I want to know where's Earl. I also want to know where's Earl, but he's you know, like he's working on it. Whatever. I... Earl will take as much time as he needs yeah. to make his shit awesome. That's true. And I'm okay with that. Like, that's totally fine. Yeah, I'm pretty excited for Wolf. I'm excited to see what where Tyler goes. I'm excited for almost all of these. I don't really care about Trash Talk at all. I'm really not. I really don't care about any of them except Wolf. You don't care about a new Demo album? Nah. I think it'll be cool. Demo's mixtape was really good. It was I, I really, really good, like it. Really? Yeah. It it's really funny that you liked tape. it. Because there was so much more up my alley because it's just a, like typical stoner rap yeah. mixtape. I mean, I don't it's love funny it, that you but I like it. it. I think it's a good album. Yeah, um, okay. You know, you're not even Mellow Hype's new album you're not even excited for? You love Mellow Hype. Nah. Why? You like Black and White so much more than me. I, I like Mellow Hype. Um, I just don't like getting my hopes up for Odd Future releases in sure, the first place. Fine. So I'm just kind of like, I just don't care about these until I hear something that sounds really good. Yeah. Because I'm just not expecting to hear anything that sounds that good. Yeah, I mean, my worry with it is that now that Haji is doing his solo stuff that's, like, amazing, um, you know, he will put all of his stupid shit into Metal Hype's album. That was, that's seems my like worry. That's what we did with the Art Future tape. Yeah, but that Art Future tape was stupid from front to back. Yeah, it's you know? true. Except for Tyler's parts. Even Tyler's parts, like... No, Tyler's parts weren't stupid. That had some of his... Yeah, really there, good there are some good there. raps in there. Yeah, you're right. Um... But yeah, that album generally is kind of dumb. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I want the Malahive album to be him sort of like, you know, with the sort of new direction he was taking as a lyricist and as a rapper with left brain hopefully creating, you know, an appropriate and kind of like, you know, experimental backdrop for that. But I just don't see it being much more than a rehash of what they've done in the past. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I, didn't, I don't really like Black and White in the first place. Yeah. Like, I don't... It's, I think it's okay. I think yeah. it's good. There's some good tracks on it, but I don't love it anyways. But I, know, I'm still... You know, I'll listen to if that. If Tyler and Left Brain do the beats for Domo's album, that could be pretty cool. I think he's working with some big producer. I forget. Mm. But it's like, it's not just samples. Like, it him. is a producer. I think... Yeah, yeah. Let me Let me find this out, actually. I think I can and, you know, find with, this pretty Like, quickly. Tyler's the only one I'm holding some hope up for because I know that 
even if it's not that great of an album, there'll at least be something more exciting there because he's just a more exciting artist than any of the rest of them. Yeah. Well, at the very least, I mean, uh, Devo actually released a track from his newest album a couple weeks ago that I never listened to. Mm. It has Earl on it, so that's cool. Yeah, I didn't listen to it either. Um, shit. Where's this thing? You, like, you typed out future into your search thing of your emails, didn't you? No, I have I have it on my RSS feed. Oh, okay. Because I was like, man, why do you have all these emails from Odd Future? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't find it. Speaking of fucking Odd Future, uh, Frank Ocean has a new album out that I have not listened to yet. Yeah, I know. Like, my cousin told me it's really good and I should listen to it, and, like, all the media is telling me it's really good and yeah, I should listen to it. it's supposed to be. Yeah, I have to listen to that. I also have to listen to that. I probably... Well, let's get to it for next week. Yeah. The way I feel about it is that I probably won't love it just because I'm not big on the new R&B sound all that much. But, you know, like... When but, it comes to getting into new albums, I think you need to separate it from that kind of context and, like, from, like, any preconception, because then you're always going to go into it thinking about it that's true. as this kind of thing rather than just thinking about it as something new to take in separate from its genre or, you know, whatever labels have, you know, you can apply to it. Yeah. Either way, I, I mean, I, I do think... I'm sure it'll be good. I don't know. Maybe not. I don't really know. <laughs> Oh, hey, Bad Bad Not Good fucking played with... Oh, man, Bad Bad Not Good played with Frank Ocean for Coachella. Hmm, that's really that's cool. That's fucking awesome. Anyways. Okay. What else was there? Okay, yeah, my last piece of news is about Steve Wilson, who is the guy from Porcupine Tree. Also a really big producer. Like, he produced... Oh, yeah, he's um, worked with Opeth a lot. Yeah, he produced Damnation and Deliverance. Yeah. He sort of saved Opeth, actually. Like, Opeth were writing albums and just, like were having a terrible time and couldn't think of things to do, and Stephen Wilson sort of came in and, like, saved them and sort of pushed them to make those two albums. Huh. Um, and he's also, you know, Stephen Wilson's the main guy from Porcupine Tree, who are a really awesome band, especially, like... like I've never listened to them, but I bet that... You probably cool. would like them. Probably. I think In Absentia is a really good album. Like, all three of their newest albums have been very good. Like, In Absentia, Deadwing, and Fear of a Blank Planet are both are all three... That's the album albums. whose title I've always kind of heard, Fear, Fear of, of a Blank, Blank Planet. Planet. Yeah. All three of those albums, I think, are amazing. Hmm. Like, really great prog rock, like, sort of new prog stuff. Is it, like, prog metal? It, it gets metally at times. I would not call it metal. But it's not like Tool. No, it's not not at all like Tool. Uh, I would, it, it's, it's very soft at times, also. Like, there's a lot of, like, acoustic guitars and, like, a lot of, um, especially In Absentia. Like, In Absentia starts off with a pretty rocking song and then sort of has a lot of, like, quieter, nicer, prettier tracks. Cool. Yeah, like, if you like Damnation, which I know that you do, yeah. you probably like Porcupine Tree. They they sort of sound, they sort of have that sound, that sort of, like, wistful, um, dark kind of proggy sound. All right. That's so nice. You, yeah, you probably think, I think he's great. While we're on that subject, can you recommend me any prog bands from, like, the classic era or beyond that, that I don't know? Because, you know, like I said, I've been listening to all this fish, and it's been getting me more in this kind of yeah, prog yeah, yeah. way of thinking, and, like, and I just want to discover more prog that I've never listened to. I don't know. Most the the problem with Prague, especially in the seventies, is that a lot of Prague is terrible. Yeah, I'm sure like so much of it's really cheesy. Um, I want the stuff I can take seriously. ELP is like extremely obnoxiously serious, but they're okay. Hmm. You might like ELP. Yeah. Um, I never got into them, but Focus have a really cool song. Focus. That's uh, a familiar. They have one song that's like sort of instrumental and has yodeling in it. <laughs> Um, that is a really cool song. I forget what it's called. I'll, I'll look it up after after we finish this podcast because it's it's actually a really cool song and I was meant to get into them and never did. Um, 
I hear a lot about Gentle Giant, who are also a real... Yeah, they're like a fusion band, kind of, right? Yeah, well, they're, they're a prog band. They're fucking... I, I think I listened to them once in high school, and I couldn't really get into it. I'm pretty sure Gentle Giant are cheesy as fuck, and I yeah. never got into them. They have like some... a cheesy fusion-y kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, but some people really like them. Yeah. I could show you some newer prog that's pretty good. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool, too. Like, uh, you know, I think Macedon's newest album, which counts, I think, as a prog album, is... Pretty I awesome. just never get into Mastodon in the first place. Like they Have you listened to The Hunter, though? The Hunter is really Not cool. Yet. It's a really good album. Mm. I'd really recommend that. There's that. There's, um... Shit. There was an album that came out. Sputnik was making a really big deal over it. I don't think it's that great, but... Um... People tend to like it. I don't forget what it's called, though. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about it after, after the podcast is done, I guess. Yeah. Fine. Is that, is that it, I guess? Anyways, oh, I didn't actually say what my news was with Stephen Wilson. Oh. <laughs> um, so he's recording. Pork Country has been a little bit inactive over the past couple of years, but Stephen Wilson has been doing some solo stuff, and he's he's doing his newest album, which normally I wouldn't report on because I haven't listened to Stephen Wilson stuff at all, even though I'm sure I'd probably like it. But the the big thing is that he's working with Alan Parsons. Huh. And, you know, the guy from Porcupine Tree doing something with Alan Parsons is a pretty amazing collaboration. Yeah, it's a cool process. That sounds fucking awesome. So who, yeah, the man who engineered Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to sort of, sort of bring that up. And I guess that will finish it off for today. So yeah, if you want to follow along with the stuff that we talk about, you can check out some links that we will put up on the site. The site is twoloudguys.blogspot.com. Check that out. If you want to email us, do it at twoloudguys at gmail.com and email us whatever kind of shit you want to email us, as long as it's not pictures of your penis. No, you can email us that, too. I guess you can. We won't mind. Yeah. All right. So this has been July 23rd. I'm Daniel Korn. M. 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 I'm Corey Gardner. This has been Too Loud Guys. We will catch you next Monday. One, two, three, four. Too Loud Guys. Too Loud Guys. Too loud guys.